Hey guys, Sharon McLaughlin here. I am thrilled that you're listening to the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. This podcast is actually a spinoff of a Facebook group that I started called Female Physician Entrepreneurs. I was burned out as a plastic surgeon and I really had no place to go. Over time, I created a Facebook group, we grew the group, we're over 7,000 strong right now, and we're all about networking and collaborating. So if you find yourself interested in learning more about business, join our Facebook group. Each week, we try to do a podcast where we make connections, we learn about each other. Most importantly, we're here to support each other. So let's listen along for this week's podcast. Hey everybody, thanks so much for being here today. Today I have Dr. Brent Lacey, he's a gastroenterologist and he helps other physicians succeed with business and personal finances. He's the creator of The Scope of Practice. It's a website, it's a podcast, and it has all resources as far as helping you manage your business. He's a coach, as I mentioned, so reach out to him if you're having financial hardship and you just wanna do something different in medicine. All right, Dr. Brent Lacey, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Sharon, thanks for letting me come on. I'm super excited to be here for you. All right, so tell me, you're a physician, gastroenterologist. How did you get into you know, scope of practice? How did you start this? How did you get into coaching? What problems did you see out there that you wanted to change? Well, so it was kind of a twofold problem. It, it really started with the financial side of things. And it, it started actually at my church. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University. Uh, it's a very, uh, very you know, prominent uh, debt elimination, financial strategy kind of a plan. But uh, I taught that at my church probably 13 times or so, and uh, just really got a lot out of it, really enjoyed uh, helping people. And it was interesting through that, I had one of the nurses at my hospital happen to be a member of our church and was attending the class. And she said, you know what, it would be really great if you could come talk to the OR nurses because they really need to hear this stuff. And so I put together a modified, you know, couple hour lecture for them on just setting up retirement plans and things like that. And uh, it was great. It was awesome. And then the students and the residents said, hey, can you come do that for us, too? And then, you know, the 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 OR techs, you know, hey, we want to hear about this stuff, too. And it just, just kind of snowballed from there. I realized, OK, there's a huge need for this and there's a big need inside of medicine. And one of the things that was very it's been very interesting to me over the years is to see how similar and yet how different the problems of physicians and other healthcare professionals and generally high, high income earners are. It's very interesting. So the widows who are on social security and that's all that they're making is $13,500 a year. And the dermatologist who's making $600,000 a year. It's so funny to see that they have exactly the same questions, exactly the same struggles, almost universally. It's amazing. Now the, the folks who have the high income, uh, you know, end of the spectrum, it's, they have some additional concerns, additional challenges as well, but some of the fundamental basic questions are really the same. And so what I like to tell people is that physicians make the same kind of mistakes that other people make. We just do dumb with more zeros on the end of it. And <laughs> I think that's really true. And what I had observed over the, over time is, is really a twofold problem. One is that physicians coming out of training were really doing really excellent at the craft of medicine, but had crushing levels of student debt and no idea how to actually manage that in a responsible way. And the second thing that I observed, maybe maybe even more problematic, is that we're very, again, trained very well to be physicians, and we're not trained for the business of medicine. Because when we come out of training, then on day one, you're leading a team and you're part of a business whether you're an employee or whether you're in private practice or you're a part owner or you're a complete owner, you are 
a business leader. You just are. And people are looking to you to lead. And we're not trained for that. I mean, I had phenomenal experience in high school and especially in college. I got um, some amazing experiences in college that gave me some serious, real business executive experience. And most people don't get a chance to do that. And I don't know about you, but I didn't get any additional training on that in medical school. And almost nobody that I know has. And I felt like that was a problem that was bad and needed fixing. And so I decided that I would start the scope of practice to coach people how to manage their business more successfully and how to master their personal finances. I'm so happy with what the work that you're doing. And I mean that sincerely. I think of the admins who have taken over medical practices. And we've often said, they don't know anything about medicine. How could they be doing this? And I really applaud the physicians that own larger practices or our CEOs in the sense that they can run businesses. So I'm happy with the work that you're doing. It makes complete sense. Tell us how, like give us examples of how you're actually helping physicians. Is it in their own private practice? Is it uh, in their finance or both? Tell us like a little bit more about yourself and the work that you're doing. Well, it's a, it's a little bit of everything. So, uh, you know, my, my work really spans the gamut from really all the way from pre-med into late career medicine. So uh, I, I just spoke to a, a big pre-med group here not too long ago on, you know, on how to interview well, how to, um, you know, how to write a CV. I mean, these are very basic skills that unless someone sits down and coaches you, you don't know how to do or how to, you know, just how to, how to interview well, right? I mean, it's very, very simple. Uh, I've been working with couples uh, from all ends of the income spectrum for a long time on personal finance. I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching, a lot of couples coaching. One of the things that's very interesting to me is, especially when I'm working with, with couples on their finances, is, is to hear people tell me that, um, that the financial coaching really improved their relationship, or even I've had people tell me that it saved their marriage. And uh, I always, I always start by saying, okay, like I'm not a couples therapist. I'm not, you know, I'm not licensed for that. That's not my qualification, you know, but it's so funny that people have told me just time and time again, that it doesn't even surprise me anymore when it happens is they'll say, you know, we were fighting, we were arguing all the time, but once we sat down and we decided, okay, we have to just come together in agreement about money stuff. We're just going to start with a budget and we're going to figure out, okay, where are we going to spend our money each month? Well, if you can agree on everything on your budget, then by extension, you have to agree on everything in your life because money just touches every part of your life. Not that money is the most important thing. It's like gas in your car. I mean, you don't have a car so that you can just put gas in it, right? But you need gas to make the car run. And so if you can agree on everything in your budget, then by necessity, you're agreeing on where you're going to live and are you going to send your kids to private schools and what kind of car are you going to drive and where are you going to travel and how often are you going to see your families? You, you just have to agree on that stuff. And it's, it's fantastic. I love doing that. And, and I love seeing people get, you know, get the light bulb turned on when it comes to uh, just, you know, leadership and business coaching too. And, you know, just helping people overhaul their hiring and firing process. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed, Sharon, at how many people just don't know how to hire for in a successful way. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, people have the traditional like, well, I guess I'll, I'll sit down with them for a 30 minute interview or I'll, I'll do a phoner and then just, you know, call the references or maybe I won't call the references and, you know, um, you know, we'll, we'll just call it good. I need a body, right? I need someone here. I need someone here now. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're buying trouble down the line. Um, and so just helping people make simple changes and really helping people make simple changes for themselves. So, you know, I'm not traveling around the country, you know, going into people's private practices. A lot of times, I mean, it's like the kind of stuff that you're doing. It's helping people help themselves, asking the questions, helping stimulate some thoughts, 
giving them some tools, some resources to understand like, okay, how do I assess where I'm at and how do I go from point A to point B? Um, it, it's amazing. I love seeing light bulbs turn on for people. Perfect. You had mentioned the relationships. It makes complete sense to me. Most people, right, they argue about money and that's like the number one reason for divorce, I believe. So if that was all taken care of, you know, you're making a happy marriage for sure, or a happy partnership, I should say, for sure. And then as far as other things go, as far as helping people, I think as physicians, you know, when we come to like hiring, firing, it's our genuine nature to try to help people, right? And I also think, because I've been accused of this um, by a friend, a good friend who's in business. She's like, sure, and you just assume that people are going to do or handle a task the same way you would. And they don't have, whether it's the same work ethic, they don't look at things the same, you know, and so... Uh, it is amazing. I think as physicians, because we've been able to do what we've done, even though it was hard, we accomplished it. And I think when we put our mind to it, we're just able to accomplish things that I don't understand that I can't do that. Or um, I think sometimes it's just looking at a different angle. But as physicians, I don't think that we're able to see that because we're like, hmm, we, why isn't Sarah or Chris doing this? Because it's very simple in my mind. You just have to do da, 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 you know, and planning things out. So I do believe that we need help as physicians in the hiring process. And if we were hiring better, we probably wouldn't be needing to fire as much or some of the staff would make sense. Oh yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, the most expensive thing on your, on any business is in any business is going to be payroll. That is going to be the number one expense almost every time. And one of the biggest things that affects that is employee turnover. So if you've got a turnover rate of 15% a year, that's really high. You've got a lot of people coming in and out of the door. It is tremendously more expensive to find someone, train them up, get them on board, get them up to full speed, get them to peak efficiency than it is to keep someone who is already there. And so if you hire the wrong person and you end up having to let them go a year later or three years later, then that is all, you're, you're constantly in a state of churn. You're constantly in a state of bringing new people in. And you're going to have some turnover just from people moving across the country to be closer to family or deciding they're going to do a different job altogether or whatever. But you know, the more that you can set yourself up for success along those lines, the better you'll do. All right. This is a question. If you're finishing medical school and you have $300,000 in debt, loan, would you buy that house or do you rent? What do you do? I know there's a lot that goes into that, but I've always wondered. I know myself what I would do, but I'm an extreme. I'll tell you my little story afterwards. Yeah. So if first off, if you come out of med school and you have $350,000 in debt, you're basically average. Um, so the 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 median the median amount of student loan debt for medical school gra school graduates is about 300k. Um, so that is fairly normal. So first of all, you're in a fairly normal boat. Um, so as far as do you rent or do you own, uh, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend people rent early on. And the, the thing that frustrates people a lot of times is that they've been holding their breath for 15 years, right? They've, been, they've gone through college, they've gone through med school, they've gone through residency, maybe they've gone through fellowship, maybe they've gone through an advanced fellowship, and it's 10, 12, 15 years later, and they've seen pictures of, you know, their friends and their family on Facebook and on Instagram every dang month, you know, like, oh, we're going to Hawaii. We just got back from Florida. We're doing all these things. And then you keep saying the words, when is it going to be my turn? When is it going to be my turn? And finally, you graduate and you got that big attending paycheck. And you're like, yes, it's my turn. I've been holding my breath for 15 years. You let that breath go and you buy a big house and two Teslas and you send your kids to private school and you're buying into a practice. And none of those things are evil. Those are all fine. 
But then you look up and you're a million and a half dollars in debt and you go, what have I just done? And the, the buying of the house is an incredible, incredible joy if it's done right. And if you do it when you have $350,000 in debt and no emergency fund and a very early practice that you don't know if you're going to stay there long term, you are borrowing trouble at a very high interest rate. And I mean that metaphorically. I mean, obviously, interest rates aren't high currently. But what I'm saying is that you know, if you, if you buy a house and you're not going to buy a $50,000 house, nobody who makes that mistake buys a $50,000 house. They all buy a $500,000 house or more. And so you're going to have you know, a, a mortgage payment of three, four, five thousand bucks a month on top of your student loan payments, which are probably comparable to that. And so you got $10,000 a month that's going out the door in terms of your payments before you even get started. Right. And then you're trying to live on what's left over and you go, oh, man, I'm feeling tight. And then it leads to stress, it leads to tension it affects everything else in your life. So I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage people don't buy a house until you are out of student loan debt. Hold your breath for a couple more years, you know, knuckle down, get, you know, get those debts out of your life. If you're doing public student loan forgiveness program, fine. Um, if you're just going to, you know, refinance your loans, live like a student and just crush that debt in two or three years. Trust me, you will make a different decision. You will make a better decision. You will make a decision with fewer consequences and less stress if you just have a little more patience. And it's frustrating and it's hard, um, but it is absolutely worth it. And so I think that's the right move almost every time. Thank you for that. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people out there. Now we just have to listen to them. <laughs> Looking back, would you have done anything different from what you're doing now with you know the path that you've taken? any suggestion for people that are out there in medicine, like, you know, I want to do something different. I'm not sure what I want to do. Looking back on your path, would you have done anything different? So I, I think uh, money-wise, I think my, my wife and I made pretty good choices. Uh, I'm pretty happy with, but I think for me, uh, career-wise, I think the number one thing that I would have done differently is I would have told myself sooner that where you go to school doesn't matter very much. I spent a lot of time and, and a lot of hours regretting and a lot of, um, a lot of hours striving for trying to get into quote unquote, the best programs, the best residencies, the best this and that, and best according to whom, I don't know, Newsweek. I mean, it's, it, it was kind of ridiculous. And I actually wrote a blog post about this a, a few years ago uh, entitled, um, Almost Nobody Cares Where You Went to School. And you think about it, I mean, when, when you're sitting down with a patient, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I don't think I've ever had a patient ask me where I went to medical school, unless it was part of a conversation that we were, we were already kind of building a relationship or they knew I went to Texas A&M for undergraduate and you know, we were kind of sharing an affinity for the same school. And they're like, oh, where'd you go to med school? Did you go to the same school and that kind of thing? But by and large, nobody cares. You know, they, they don't care if you went to Harvard. They don't care if you went to Johns Hopkins. They don't care if you went to Emory. And if you did go to those places, good for you. No problem. Okay. But anatomy at Harvard and anatomy at the University of Texas and anatomy at, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin and Nebraska, it's all the same. Not that much has changed in, you know, the last 400 years. I mean, it, it just really hasn't. And so um, I think what I would have told myself is stop worrying so much about where you go and just be grateful that you got in somewhere and then just seize the most out of every opportunity. And I, this is what I coach people on nowadays is if you get into medical school, it's much more your, the quality of your training and your education is much more dependent on you as a person 
seeking out and finding those opportunities and sucking the marrow out of the experience rather than the quote unquote quality of the institution. It's much more individual dependent. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you. So going forward, what would you like to see in your life? The next three-year plan, five-year plan, tell us. <laughs> well, we've I've joined a private practice here in Dallas. And so um, as the practice continues to grow, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see how that uh, continues to grow and expand and uh, you know, just get to help more people and, uh, and that sort of thing. And I, I'm excited to see where the scope of practice is going. I've got, uh, we've got the podcast now. Um, I've got a, a summit that's coming up this fall. That's going to be super exciting and, uh, just getting to just get to help more people getting to, you know, um, you know, just see more light bulbs turn on, see more people, uh, achieve their dreams of financial independence, achieve their dreams of successful career and a balanced family life. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I live for. Tell us more about the summit. When is it? What will you like? What type of speakers will be there? What can someone expect if they sign up for it? Yeah, it's going to be great. It's called Marriage and Money MD, and it's November fifteenth through seventeenth this year, twenty twenty one. We've got eighteen physicians and and some physician spouses that are going to be coming and speaking. Uh, a lot of whom I'm sure are going to be familiar to your audience. Uh, Donna Ravito of the AMA Alliance, Kelly Casperson of uh, You Are Not Broken. Uh, Kate Mangona, um, Elena Shea, um, lots and lots of people that I know of at least a few that have definitely been on your podcast um, that are going to be phenomenal speakers. And we're talking about uh, we're talking about money. We're talking about marriage. We're, we're talking about how do you balance um, how do you balance a, a family, a career uh, and keep your money straight at the same time. And so, like you were saying before, you're 100 percent right. Money fights, money problems. That is the number one source of marital discord and, and, and divorce in North America. And so if we can get those things right, then we can get we can have happier relationships. We can have a more stable family life. We can have um, a more a more thriving career because we're not worried about all the stuff that's going on at home. You know, we can make better choices because we are moving towards financial independence it's just better for everybody. So it's a, it's a three-day summit. It's free. It's, um, it's all online. And so even if you can't catch it live, you can catch the replays afterwards. Um, people can go to uh, marriageandmoneymd.com and you can sign up for that for free. So it's marriageandmoneymd.com. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you for all the work. And when people are reaching out for you, you mentioned the summit, but what about your own website? Tell us about the scope of practice. Yeah. So if people want to um, check it out, it's the scope of practice.com. So I'm a gastroenterologist and I can't resist a good dad joke. So that's where the scope of practice came from. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got, I've got the blog, the podcast, um, and it's all, it's all there for free. We got a lot of great speakers. Dr. Max is going to be on it uh, here pretty soon. So everyone needs to go check out that for sure. And as a special thank you for your audience, I actually put something together um, for folks just to say thank you for letting me come on today. It's a little guide I put together called um, three tools to level up your family's finances. And so it'll help you set some reachable financial goals, start learning how to have conversations with your spouse without fighting and set a budget that actually doesn't make you tear your hair out. Um, and so people can download that for free if they want. That's uh, the scope of slash no money fights. Okay. So the scope of slash no money fights, you can download that for free. And that's just a little thing to say, thank you for letting me come on. I hope it's helpful. I've uh, been using that uh, guide for a while now, and a lot of people really um, find a lot of use out of it. So I hope it helps you and your family too. It will. Thank you for all the work <laughs> that you're doing, and thank you for being on here today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. If you like us, 
please give us a nice review and tell your family and friends about us. We'll see you on another episode.